0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to a bonus episode of Powerlines, from Ukraine to the world. I am Anastasia Lapatina.
1: And I'm Jakub Parushinsky. This week, we're speaking about cyber warfare with Lauren Zabierek, the Executive Director of the Cyber Project at Harvard Kennedy School Belfare Center.
0: So, Jakub, you spoke to the journalist Andy Greenberg about cyber warfare, for our last week's main episode. But what did you want to know from Lauren?
1: Well, Andy Greenberg has an amazing sort of ability to recount the different cases of cyber warfare. I think Lauren is looking at the question more from a policy or an institutional perspective, looking at how governments, institutions, companies should look at cyber war and at cybersecurity more from a sort of governance perspective as well.
0: This is actually really interesting because since cyber warfare is such a new method of warfare, I'm not sure if states have caught up to, you know, instituting actual policies and understanding what to actually do with it and how to govern it.
1: Well, that's actually the big challenge, right? Whereas most countries will have doctrines and even established ways to respond to various hostile acts, cyber warfare is just A little bit in an unregulated space, a bit like, you know, crypto or NFTs. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's something that we haven't really caught up with.
0: Great. So let's hear from Lauren then.
1: So Lauren, thank you so much for joining Powerlines. Maybe just to sort of start off, what do people mean when they talk about cyber warfare?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And there's sort of a difference here between the concept of cyber warfare and an act of war in cyberspace. And this is something that I think can be very confusing to a lot of people because we just see the news and we see actions in cyberspace and we hear the word cyber attack. And that sounds very violent, right? But the the differences here, cyber warfare itself, I think, really refers to the certain tactics, techniques, and procedures and actions taken in cyberspace to attack and harm computers and networks by one actor against another, right? Cyber war or an act of cyber war or an act of war in cyberspace is much different that's actually a very political determination, right? So when we talk about war, there's implications there. It's loaded, obviously, and and the victim nation is really the one that has to make that determination. There are thousands of cyber attacks every day by nation states, by criminals, um, with different intent and different results. But generally, It's thought that an act of war in cyberspace is going to result in massive loss of life, massive economic damage, massive injury or harm. So there are a couple different sort of distinctions here that hopefully we can make clear to the audience.
1: Let's move back a little bit towards the, let's say, early part of the 21st century. Where does this kind of idea of, you know, using cyberspace as a battlefield, Come from what's sort of the the story of getting to the present day?
2: I would say starting in the 2010s, the use of of cyber and sort of different viruses and malwares propagating, that of course was happening well before that, even once the internet was developed. But I would say probably the, the 2010s is when this started to get real attention from policymakers, policymakers and decision makers starting to think. This could actually have some real implications as we become more and more and more connected. And I think we also saw some of the most um, disruptive, I guess you can say, and, and even in some cases, again, destructive attacks. So looking again back to 2015-2016 with the, the attacks on the energy grid. Um, and then of course, now we're, you know, sort of in the midst of the ransomware epidemic, as they call it. So a lot of really sophisticated. Capabilities are in use by criminals, by cyber criminals. Obviously, last year we had the attack on colonial pipelines. So part of our critical infrastructure. There was also a ransomware attack on an entire government of Costa Rica. So we're seeing a lot of sort of blending of capabilities and, and tactics by different actors. So this sort of ramping up, I guess, of capabilities and actions over the last decade and a half we'll see is I think when it's become the most serious.
1: I mean, you mentioned ransomware. So this is presumably by, you know, various criminal groups trying to essentially hold a piece of digital um, infrastructure or, or or sort of take it hostage, basically, until they're paid. Um, what, what's sort of the, the other types of attacks and how are they used? Just to give the audience a little bit of a sense of what we're talking about.
2: So you mentioned ransomware that is typically used by cyber criminals to extort money from Unwitting victims, basically, and it works a lot of times because the the economics of cyber crime are such that it does favor the criminals. And then, of course, there are the nation state actors, right? So a lot of times we see this as cyber espionage, so spying, right, and gathering information. Other times it's sabotage. Part of the appeal to it is that it, you know, you can use it to your particular will, and then it offers some plausible deniability as well as some reach, although more and more that I think that uh, deniability is is going away.
1: Talking about the, um, the actors involved here, I mean, obviously, whether it's in the movies or in real life, it seems like the Russians play a very big role in this space. But we've also seen that Russia does have limited capabilities. It's certainly sourcing a lot of drones from Iran. You know, the Sony hack is believed to be connected to North Korea. Who's the big players here?
2: We always say sort of the big four, right? The big four adversaries in cyber. Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran.
1: Is there any sort of specialization or differences in style? Or did they have some kind of, yeah, specific areas that they focus on?
2: Well, you know, I think if we look to Russia, right, they were the ones that we have seen more destructive malware in times past, we've really looked at China as saying using cyber operations to perform more intellectual property theft and, and of course, theft of, of other data. And then, of course, with North Korea, really sanctions evasion, right, and trying to mine for cryptocurrencies.
1: A little bit less glamorous than the others. Yeah. So moving back towards Ukraine, we see in the sort of run up to the full-scale invasion. Basically, after 2013, there's a revolution. Ukraine changes course um, geopolitically. And we see quite a bit of these various types of cyber attacks showing up. As you mentioned, there's the attacks on the power grid. I remember being in Ukraine quite a bit during those years. Um, It seemed like that was quite a lot of activity, testing the state capabilities. Would you say that Ukraine was one of the major battlefields for cyber warfare throughout the 2010s?
2: There's a lot of people who will say that, yeah, Ukraine was was sort of this testbed for Russia. And I think with what has happened with their invasion of Ukraine, that maybe it wasn't necessarily a testbed. Right. It wasn't like, oh, we're just going to test out our capabilities on Ukraine. It was actually for something much more sinister. And, and so, yes, certainly honing capabilities and, and testing out the ability to achieve certain effects in cyberspace. Yes, absolutely. But also with, I think, a more strategic goal, you know, trying to break down people's will. So, yeah, I think it has been a key tool for them to use in the lead up. To this particular invasion, it probably will remain a tool. Although I think there have been a lot of people who have questioned, like, oh, why didn't we see all these huge destructive cyber attacks, you know, that we expected? And did they have the intended effect? And are they as good as they thought? But I think one of the biggest things that we've learned is that, you know, cyber really remains a tool in the in the sort of the whole toolkit and not the sole domain by which you win a war.
1: So building off on that, because I think this is a very interesting point about cyber being a tool. And there's a question of how effective it is. So as you mentioned, throughout the 2010s, there's a bunch of attacks on Ukrainian infrastructure. There's lots of blackouts or attempts to sort of take down the power grid, various smaller attacks as well. And then the war starts, right, nine months ago. Have you been surprised by the significance of cyber warfare as a tool, as part of the war? Is it more or less what you've expected? Like, is it underwhelming, overwhelming? Feels like after a lot of fear generated around this, it isn't quite as big. Obviously, when you have missiles raining down, it's a much more clear and present danger.
2: Well, I think that's a great point, is that that's a key lesson that I think the community has come to observe in a war, cyber is sort of a complement, especially if you can do it with very tight coordination across all of your domains of war. But really, there's no, and, I, and this sounds so glib, of course, but there's no substitute for kinetic operations in a war to destroy and have real impact and, and you know, prosecute the goals of the war. So, you know, to your question, am I am I surprised I don't know if I'm necessarily surprised or or not. I think because we are in this new domain, we're witnessing something for really the first time. I don't think it lessens the fact that, yes, cyber operations can still be dangerous and still be impactful. Right. Let's still look back at those particular attacks not only from Russia, but, you know, other nations as well, they can still have real harm against civilian populations. Like people can still be harmed, whether that's from a sort of first degree or or second or third order effects. And that, I think, is, again, something that's sort of lost in, in the debate here.
1: Moving forward a little bit to what we have learned from the war, right? It's now been sort of nine months, We've seen sort of cyber attacks play a big role, perhaps smaller than uh, than expected, or at least not as significant as kinetic ones, as you mentioned. What are the big lessons that Western powers, let's say, can take from the war?
2: So I think the biggest lesson, and I'm going to quote here from James Andrew Lewis from the CSIS, he wrote in a recent paper a well-prepared and energetic defense can prevail over offense in cyberspace. I think that is huge because the way that Ukraine acted to defend against all these attacks, I mean, you know, one of the ministers recently said, like, look, these attacks are happening, but Ukraine is defending against them. So we're not necessarily seeing a lot of those impacts in cyberspace. I think that has huge implications for Other nations, right? If we can be well prepared and if we can have that sort of energetic defense, that would really change the game. But for many nations, I don't think we're necessarily prepared at this point to be like that. I mean, Ukraine has had years, right, to sort of understand what is happening to them and be prepared, right? The work that was done to make data resilient, to pull together. The people needed to defend against these attacks and these relationships that were built, you know, not only across with other nations, but companies as well. There was a plan. I think that strategic plan came out in 2016 for a way to defend against these particular attacks. So I think that's one big lesson. Another thing is you know there've been a lot of people sort of like well does this mean russia doesn't have such capabilities no I, I i don't think that at all what i do think though is that the training and the sort of use of cyber in a joint construct is really really crucial to i think have the impacts that planners and operators are seeking i think that's one of the biggest lessons that we've learned as well
1: so Looking at sort of, you know, the reaction of governments, um, but I think also turning to the, uh, center's cyber project. You have the stated aim of deterring non-state actors and terrorist adversaries from conducting attacks in cyberspace. What are the instruments that you can use to deter bad actors? What are the tools that are available?
2: Well, I, you know, when you're talking about preventing attacks against yourself, you know, there, there are a couple of things that any person can do. Things like having strong random passwords across your accounts using multi-factor authentication, right? But in terms of deterrence, you know, I think for a long time, we've really thought about cyber defense and national security and deterrence as kind of more like a military construct or a military function. But I think it's really become clear in the last couple of years, we'll say five years, seven years, et cetera, that it is not just a a Department of Defense or a military function. It's really on all of us and not just on individuals, but it's also like our our domestic structures. It's our states, it's our local governments, it's our federal government. I think one of the biggest aspects of deterrence now, especially, is going back to what James Andrew Lewis said, right? A well-prepared and energetic defense. And then on the other side of it, too, is this concept of resilience. And if we sort of accept that, Yes, we are experiencing thousands of cyber attacks a day. But if we can sort of shake those off and not let those impacts really affect us and damage our not only our systems but our well-being, our psyche as well, then we can become more resilient if we have plans in place to recover from those attacks. And then also, too, you mentioned you know work at the Belfer Center. While I've been here, I have focused on kind of the whole spectrum of security from international all the way down to how we sort of organize ourselves for defense. So I've, I've written a couple of things that look at how we can be better positioned, better postured for that collective defense, how we can sort of come together and share information and basically collaborate. That again, goes towards better, better defense.
1: So this might be a painful oversimplification but do you feel like the war has been uh, a net positive or a net negative for cybersecurity of let's say western democracies on the one hand you know we've had this increased attention i think there's an increased um level of of knowledge perhaps russia has shown its hand and its capabilities to a detrimental level for itself, or has the sort of the progress because, you know, war drives innovation? Have we sort of lost more on that side?
2: Well, to, to your initial point, I think war is always a net negative. And I of know you're saying, okay, yes. but for, for cybersecurity, I, I see what you're saying. I just wanted to make that point. It's been, you know, truly horrifying. But in terms of the things that we have witnessed, it's been instructive, basically. Um, and I think it's sort of ushered in a new reality and a new understanding um, and a new way of doing things, right? I think this is probably the first time where we saw a conflict where private companies were huge players and it, obviously not belligerents, right? But came to the very quick and decisive aid to Ukraine right like microsoft or other tech companies that have helped out and you know provided information or you know i think that's been something that you know we haven't necessarily seen before it's shown light on our supply chain security issues i think given the public sort of a front seat view to understand more of the capabilities and sort of more of the risk. So in terms of that, I think um, it sort of quickly ushered along these sort of new realities for people. And then taking those lessons learned, I think a lot of people are trying to do that. And then they're, they're sort of pivoting to, okay, what can we apply this understanding to? What other conflicts are out there? Not only from a defensive standpoint, but also how might warfare look? in the future, given what we've seen, given what we know now, given the lessons learned. So again, always, always in that negative, but definitely very instructive and illuminating things that we've come to understand from the war.
1: Lauren, thank you so much for that discussion. Truly, really interesting. Um, It's such a fascinating topic to, to be covering. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jakub, for having me on today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Powerlines. We'll see you next week for our regular episode, where we'll be speaking to journalist and author, Michael Weiss, about the history of Russian intelligence services and their current role in the war against Ukraine.
0: Powerlines is a partnership between the Kyiv Independent and Message Heard. It was produced by B. Duncan, Harry Stott and Talia Augustidis. The executive producer is Sandra Ferrari. The theme music is by Tom Biddle and Alfie Godfrey.